Hi, Smarties. Before we dig into the content of today's podcast, I just wanted to say a thank you to Judith Herring, who has given us this awesome review on Apple Podcasts. She said, Stephanie and Rachel are doing such important work, and they are doing it with intelligence, empathy, flexibility, and playfulness. You are the oasis in our learning desert. Thank you. It means so much to both of us when we get a review from one of you guys. And Judith, thank you so much for writing your name so we know who you are. It would mean so much to us if you would go and give us a five-star and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Now, today we are being interviewed by Dr. Jeremy Sharp from the Testing Psychologist Podcast. During this interview, he asks us about our experience as educational therapists with online learning, how expectations for kids and parents need to shift during this time, and our tips for navigating the conflicts that can emerge at home as a result of all of this craziness. We re-aired another interview that we did on the Testing Psychologist, which is episode 86 of our podcast, where he interviews us about educational therapy and executive functioning, and we will absolutely link that in the show notes to this episode. So let's dig in. You want to learn faster, but sometimes working harder is just not the answer. You have to learn smarter. The Educational Therapy Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Testing Psychologist Podcast, the podcast where we talk all about the business and practice of psychological and neuropsychological assessment. I'm your host, Dr. Jeremy Sharp, licensed psychologist, group practice owner, and private practice coach. Today, I'm talking with Rachel Cap and Steph Pitts, who you might recognize from episode 102. Rachel and Steph are educational therapists in California, and they have returned for another episode to talk about the shifts that they've seen over the last few months in learning as kids have transitioned from school to home and now, in some cases, back to school. We talk about kind of the state of learning and especially learning at home. We cover just their general observations and trends that they've seen over the last few months, challenges that have come up that are specific to uh, learning at home. We also talk about learning strategies that have been super helpful over the last few months uh, as kids have navigated this transition. And we also spend some time on some of their favorite apps and strategies that they will just teach every kid that comes through the door to set a baseline for positive learning. So you don't want to miss this one. Uh, Rachel and Steph are dynamic guests and they've been doing this for quite a while and they really know their stuff. And if you haven't checked out their podcast, which is called the Learn Smarter Podcast, uh, definitely go and check that out. They have a ton of episodes that overlap really well with our field, but are also great for parents. Uh, I'll send parents to listen to some of their episodes if they are struggling with their kids and especially learning at home and navigating homework and that sort of thing. So if you have not checked out Rachel and Steph's podcast, go do that. And it will be in the show notes so that you can access it pretty easily. Okay. On to my episode with Rachel and Steph. Hey y'all. Welcome back to the podcast. Hi. Hi. Thank thanks for so having much. us. We were so excited when you emailed us to come back. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, yeah, I was excited when you said yes. Um, I never know, you know, if one time is enough, if I burn people out or what. And so to have you come back, it is an honor. I'm glad to have you. People like being wanted, Jeremy. <laughs> it makes you feel good. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Fair yeah, enough. Right. I'll keep yeah. that in mind. Yeah. yeah. Nice. No, I feel like I, uh, you know, like I said in the in the message, I've been listening to y'all's podcast, the Learn Smarter podcast, and uh, you've just been doing great stuff here over the summer and with the pandemic and the quarantine and at-home learning. And I just thought I really need to reach back out to y'all because I think there's a lot of overlap in our in our audiences. So yeah, yeah, thanks, sir. Thanks for coming on. That's great. Cool. So yeah, I'm curious. I'd love to just dive into it um, f- from y'all's side. So just to tell people in case they didn't listen to your first episode, um, just say a little bit about what you do. Uh, that'll be a good place to start. And then we'll, we'll actually jump into it. So my name is Stephanie and um, I, we are educational therapists. And so we work with students who um, need, who we teach them how to learn and who they are as learners. And we do that through one-on-one teaching them strategies and playing games and, and doing all the things to help make learning fun. And Rach. I am Rachel. Um, Along with staff, we co-host Learn Smarter, which is our passion project to sort of expand awareness about the potential of educational therapy. Not everybody has knows about it or has heard about it. And through our work, working one-on-one with clients, we teach them to be independent, autonomous, sort of functioning people in the real world so that they can take control over their learning and their life and not have their life and their learning have control over them. Yeah. Yeah. So important. That's so important. Yeah. So we, I think originally connected just around these educational therapy strategies, because y'all do so much with executive functioning and Mm -hmm. um, sort of like the meta skills for Mm -hmm. academic success. And um, yeah, I was really drawn to that. So thanks. Thanks for doing a brief Mm -hmm. intro just to make sure everybody's in the right place and know what they're getting into here. So I'm curious, uh, just generally what have y'all seen you know reflections over the past 6 months um when as kids transitioned online in the spring and then maybe through the summer and now as we're getting back into the fall i'm curious uh if you're seeing kind of trends or challenges you know things that are popping up in your practices oh, there's so much we there's so much about. The first thing that I'll say is that I'm really proud of the clients either we have, our teams and I have, we're currently working with throughout the transition because I feel like the clients we were already working with who already had systems in place had a rather smooth transition. They already had sort of the back end work of how to function done. And we just sort of slotted Zoom links and online learning and pivoted in that way. Hmm. I think a big trend, um, certainly from new clients that are calling is I finally see what my kids' teachers have been talking about for years. And so sometimes parents don't see their kids the same way that the classroom teacher does. And suddenly we have a whole new perspective on our, our kids functioning and they are seeing vastly different little people when they're trying to learn as opposed to just being in the family home. And so, um, certainly a lot of anxiety, a lot of how to like 
families are struggling more to make decisions about support because they don't necessarily know what they need. Whereas in, you know, typically end of July, August are really busy times. It was slow. It took a little bit of time just from a business perspective to kind of get it going. Now we're inundated and busy. Um, But uh, because families kind of needed to see what was going to happen. And so, um, Steph, what have you noticed? Well, I was just going to say, I think that, that you can come at this from a couple of different angles, right? Timing is the first thing. So right at the beginning of the pandemic, it felt like crisis mode. We were triage. Like, how do we get through yeah. this? Is Things aren't going to necessarily count. It's like okay. we, the fires were going, right? Yeah, it's like right? the process like, of educational therapy that there's, there's always, when kids are coming, there's always a fire at the beginning. Right. And the, yeah. those fires were just like, there were a lot yeah. of them. And then through the summer, it was sort of, okay... Some of the clients, it was, let's use this time to work on the gaps that they didn't get for the last bit of school so that Mm -hmm. they can be more ready for the fall. Um, And I think now that fall has started, it's been a, it's more of a, okay, how can we make this sustainable? Right. Yeah. There's Zoom fatigue. There's um, how do you keep track of everything? There's, um, knowing what, when, where, you know, all the things as the teachers, the school, the parents, the kids all figure it out. So I think that's one aspect. Then I think the other aspect is looking at it from, are you looking at it from the kid's point of view, the parent's point of view, or the teacher's point of view, right? So I think for the kids, it's been like, whoa, you know, they don't have their friends. A lot of kids that um, became very savvy um, or just are very savvy in the classroom to like look at their peers' paper to figure out what they need to be doing. They don't have that anymore. And mm, yeah. so what is being asked of them? They have no idea, right? So I think that point of view has been interesting, especially now that in the fall, we're finding things are counting. Um, they're trying to beef up the material. They're trying to you know make sure that there's not as much of a gap, right? I think for the parents, it's, how do I support my kid? How do I keep being able to have my career going and work? And like, how do we all share a house with like five different Zooms on at once? And (laughs) how do I... Get the internet strong enough to maintain that. Right? Like, how do I help my kid with their homework when they don't understand? All of a sudden now I'm a teacher and I don't know how to teach this. And my kid is crying and it's affecting our relationship. And I don't want to be this person. Right? Even more so than what it was before, which was originally just you were seeing it in homework. Well, now you're seeing it with schoolwork and homework. So along with all the other challenges, right? And then I think a lot of the other part that we're seeing is from the teachers who are trying to navigate, figure out how to teach these things, right? Sometimes they have kids at home themselves. Right. Exactly. Especially, you know, like how do I teach this in a way where I can reach all the students? I mean, I have, I mean, I don't have kids myself, but when I hear some of my friends, the Zooms, when they've told me what's going on in the Zooms and they're spending, the teachers are spending 20 minutes trying to figure out like, here, fold your paper. And the kid says, can it have lines on it? Can it be pink? I don't have a piece of paper. Where do I get one? You know, that kind of a thing. And so I think the teachers are struggling with that as well. So just to put a like, you know, big here's the big overarching picture of where everybody's struggles are. There's a lot right now. 
There's a lot. Yeah, it's like you're in my house and describing exactly <laughs> what is happening for us right now. Um, and like millions of other families. Yeah. I mean, there's sort of going back to the gap that Jeff mentioned, what what we've sort of said on our podcast and what we've said to clients, like, you know, there's before all this, there was one thing that everybody had a totally equal amount of, which was time. Mm-hmm. And now everybody is totally equally, maybe not equally, but everybody is being impacted by this and by the pandemic. And, um, and likewise, whatever learning gap we're concerned about happening, emerging, everybody is sort of being impacted. And honestly, kids with resources are going to be impacted way less than kids who don't have internet access and can't get into their classes and the kids who are already sort of struggling and falling behind in that way. So I I feel like overall, I'm less concerned about learning gaps that emerge because when school goes back in person, whatever that looks like, I mean, locally in LA, we're not back in person yet. Whatever that looks like, it's, you know, the standards before and the expectations, grade level expectations before are going to have to be iterated and amended because it's not going to be realistic. And so everybody will have the expectations amended in in the same vein. And I want to add, I think maybe the silver lining all of this is that as it used to be like when we were kids, we weren't expected to be reading in kindergarten, like when kindergarten started. And now that's an expectation. And so maybe it'll be more in alignment with what's developmentally appropriate because for a lot of kids, that's not developmentally appropriate for them. Mm-hmm. And then they're I, already I, behind. Right. And I love that you brought that up, Steph, because I also think this is like our educational system in this country was designed hundreds of years ago, I feel like. And this is really an opportunity as educators to sort of reevaluate how we want learning to happen. And Such what we, point. it's, you know, we live in a different society than like the function of school was a hundred years ago. It has different priorities and goals. Now family need families needed to do different things than they needed it to do a long time ago, but it's still sort of built and designed around that system. So I'm going to be really curious to see sort of what schools keep from this forced pivot that they had to do. Just like we'll probably always keep doing virtual sessions as an option in our practice. I'm curious. It's going to be interesting to hopefully see some reflection on what was really wonderful about this and how do we bring that in. Right. Well, I know in our practice, we're there's been a real process of figuring out what is essential. So yes. you know, when we're trying to trans, we're, we're back in person now for testing, but for a few months we were doing all the testing remotely and we really had to be selective about what we were doing and what's really necessary. And it made us sort of like cull, you know, the process a little bit. And I wonder if that's yeah. going to happen with schools and with teachers to figure out what was kind of fluffy and what was more necessary and what really what the essentials are, you know, for yeah. the learning they're trying to do or teaching yeah. they're trying to do. I, I hope so. I mean, I don't want to put more on teachers and educators because, you know, I it always would irk me as a former teacher when you'd get the summer off and people like you only work nine months out of the year. And people don't understand that like in order to sustain the energy that it requires that we're pouring into other people's kids 
it, you you have to have that like time to reset and kind of have some brain quiet. So mm-hmm. um, it'll be interesting to sort of see. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I have a sister-in-law who's a teacher and a client who's a teacher and both mm-hmm. it's the same way. It's like, you know, the summer is absolutely necessary to hundred percent required. Yeah. 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 So I wonder, have there been shifts in the work that y'all are doing with kids here over the last few months? Um, I mean, it sounds like you're doing a lot more online, which makes sense. Um, but as far as the actual, you know, hands-on intervention and strategies that you're you're doing with kids, has that changed at all? I'll bring up something that Steph and I sort of talked, like texted about yesterday, uh-huh. um, which like, Steph and Steph will always say that's a would be nice, meaning like I'll bring something up and she's like, no, 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 that's not a right now. That's a would be nice, which helps me sort of because everything feels important to me immediately. <laughs> and so true. she'll help me sort of navigate that. But, you know, one of the things that we always did with our clients was sort of organize themselves digitally. But there was a lot that was like, okay, let's let's move on from this because something else is more important like their physical binder is more important right now i i like have made so many things digitally more important than they were before um like small things like when we start session close all the tabs that we are not going to use cuz these kids have a million and a half tabs open and you know i'm guilty of that i get it um but you need to reset and start from fresh having kids clean off their desktops um, has been a big one for me. They save everything to their desktop, and then there's just hundreds of thousands of documents on there. And taking uh, their computer the, desktop, their mm-hmm. computer desktop. Sorry. Yes. And so, like, it's almost what I'll say to them is how many tabs you have open, how many files you have unsorted in your Google Drive, how many files you have saved on your computer desktop. That's a reflection of everything that's sort of in your brain at this moment. So let's simplify it. And it's almost this like catharsis of the cleansing process. Then you can have a system to maintain that. So sort of the digital profile stuff has become a lot more... um, It's always been important, but even more so, that's really where I'm starting with clients um, and making sure they know where to go and have everything they need when they get there. So they need to know what time their classes start and, you know, Schools are still shifting schedules. Like they're not decided about how they're doing this and they're still responding to feedback. And so, you know, that can be every two, three weeks we're updating that and then making sure that their Zoom links are accurate so that they have one place to go and that, and then making sure that they have the homework done that was required for that class. So, um, and putting everything in one central location. But Steph, what did, what has shifted for you? You know, I think there's a lot more, there's a lot more emails mm-hmm. never before. That's and, a part of the cleanup. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so, but I think looking at the silver lining of that is um, the resources I, I have, you know, I'm thinking about one kid in particular who um, she gets the emails, but she might not understand the assignment, but the teachers have been attaching the video that they watched in class so she can watch it again and use that as her backup, right? And so I think knowing that and and helping her know that those resources are there because she doesn't really want to check her email, I think that's something that I've been seeing a lot of. I think um, also, you know, 
the we can get into this, but the portals, the kids have been relying on them even more. And I just showed a kid the other day that even though it says these are the assignments, there were two assignments that didn't show up on that. Here's what's mm-hmm. coming up, mm-hmm. but it was on the class page. Mm-hmm. So I, I said, you can't, you know, we have to put things down as a to-do list in a calendar, whatever it looks like that's going to work best. We cannot rely on what you think you can rely on. It's just, it doesn't work. So um, when I'm finally having, you know, so many of the kids are, are sitting there saying, no, my teachers put it, it's all there. It's yeah, all there. It's all there. So I literally showed her. Yeah. Look, there's this thing. Do you see that anywhere else? And then she just went, oh. And it just, I think all of a sudden she just thought, wow, okay. Yeah, a healthy skepticism. Yeah. And I, I've never really like conceived of it in those two words, but we really want our learners having a healthy skepticism. Yeah, Steph, that's a great write way to that put down. It. Th- that's a podcast episode. Yeah. A healthy skepticism <laughs> about their online portal, about their calendar, about the emails, everything that they sort of interact with, assume that something's gone missing. And like that's sort of how we approach it in our sessions too. Assume maybe they're not telling us the complete truth. Assume that they think they're telling us the truth, but then we go and we look and they're like, oh, actually, this is what I meant. Like just assuming that there's going to be failures along the way. And what do we do to put in extra layers of, you know, check-ins around that? Like that's why with every client I go into the portals, the students in particular with ADHD and executive functioning issues, mm-hmm. I go and I look at like, let's make sure all the past assignments were turned in because nothing more frustrating for a kid who's done the assignment, but hasn't turned it in properly when they think they've turned it in properly. And then you yeah. go and you look and you show them, Hey, like the teacher doesn't see it. So you probably just didn't wait for it to upload all the way or the system glitched out. Uh-huh. Like we have to have these systems of like, it is routine. It is something we do consistently once or twice a week. Go back and check on everything. Yeah. To sort of, and this is hard for kids who just want to move on. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So hard. Last night I, I was with a kid that she had an assignment. She said, oh, I did it today. And I said, okay, I just want to see it. I pulled it up and everything had erased. It never saved oh, itself. No. And she was oh. in tears. And so oh. this is one of those practice advocating for yourselves. Okay, let's email the teacher. Let's say it's yeah, too- recovering. I can't do it again tonight. Can I please have an extra day? It was there. It's now gone. As she was in tears. And you know, those are the types of things, those things are going to happen, especially with the fact that everything is technology-based. And so having, you know, having that communication and making sure that we're, you know, checking everything and being in touch with the teacher and making sure that the kid knows how and what to do when something like that happens is going to be important now and for the rest of their lives, right? Absolutely. Yeah, that's such a good point. The, uh, that, the fact that everything everything is digital now, like everything is electronic. I don't know. Y'all are big fans of electronic mm-hmm. uh, strategies and learning and mm-hmm. tips and all of that. Um, but I mean, there were, I think, some kids out there who still kind of rely, and parents really, who relied on like paper and having those yeah. physical 
documents yeah. and now that's another transition to make for people like what if the tech doesn't work and you're really yeah. at the mercy of i mean i definitely because you're right we are we were very into digital before mm-hmm. um and honestly the kids i would say are mostly on board for that because they're used to it they're digital natives they've grown up with it they didn't ever have another way of survival I mean, my mom is still with a paper planner, um, but you know, I think with this, she has been forced to like explore Google Calendar more, which is great because that's how me and my dad and my brother function. But you know, the kids were were more open to it. The parents, you know, we get a lot of questions about like, well, shouldn't they be writing it down, or shouldn't they don't it shouldn't they be taking notes by hand and it sort of is like, sometimes it's a matter of like, is this a hill you want to die on? Right. Like right. It, it. Pick your battles. Pick your battles. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, in the interest of uh, giving this a little bit of how-to content, you know, in our free flowing conversation, can you talk about some of the, you know, just your favorite like tech tools or apps that you you always try to integrate uh, in students' lives to, to kind of move the needle the most with their learning? So many. Yeah. I mean, I let's, if I had a nickel for every app, I had a learner download. So. Yeah. I mean, but let's start with Google Calendar because I yeah. think that's... And the Google products. products. Yeah. Like the Google suite of products. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, one of the things too, that now that the kids have to be so much more digital and we're putting their Zoom links in the calendar is I'm putting sessions and the Zoom links in with them and inviting them to them on my, on my calendar. So the kids, the younger kids are even more in charge of their own schedules and know what's going on even more than before, because I've had parents who would sit there and say, well, they don't need to really know, but they need to know now. Um, so I would start there. That is, you know, something that they're probably going to have to use the rest of their lives. So the sooner you can start them on it, the better. Yes. I'm, I'm the same with Google products. One of the things that, um, and I want all learners that we work with to have their name at gmail.com if possible. Mm -hmm. Um, and, really simplify how many email addresses they have. We spent a lot of time in email, literally teaching kids proper email etiquette. And I'm not even talking about the writing of an email. These kids don't know how to archive. They don't know how to unread something if they want to come back to it later and want to mark it as important for themselves. You can structure your email in a way that... And I know Steph does her email differently, but I always have it structured as unread and read. And those are simple simple clicks within it. You can have email imported, so everything's in one place. But you want to simplify all the things. Another thing that I always um, have learners do is they need to have like their school their important links in their bookmark bar. Mm -hmm. So I teach them how that works. I want everybody in Google Chrome don't like Safari. Um, And I want their Gmail. I want their school email. I want their online portal. Excuse me. I want their assignment sheets. If there's a digital book, I want that there. And then let's like have less of like put their personal stuff like further down the bookmark bar and yeah, sort of the teaching raff. them the, the riffraff, <laughs> if you will, teaching them the sort of functionality of 
that you can have. And when somebody sends you an email with a Google invite or even with a date to your Gmail, like it will get put onto your calendar or ask you if you want it to be there. And sort of those simplifications really... Well, it's a lot of upfront work in the beginning, but it saves a lot of time. Students are being asked to PDF things a lot more than they were before. And their ways of doing it are super interesting. And I didn't know some of them, but let's get them an app that holds all their PDFs in there for them that is labeled because then that becomes another checkup. That becomes another way of checking, hey, did I scan this? You can go back and easily see it. Um, And teaching them how to name their 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 files properly so that they're searchable for them. I mean, these are all like these tiny little conversations that we're having, but you know, the ultimate goal is being able to do something with this work. So if they're, if they need to be able to study from it, they need to be able to go and find it. Everything needs to be findable. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, putting in these sort of like check-in layers across the way in terms of other digital things that we're sort of taking advantage of Steph, I mean, from the business side, we could say so much, but what are you doing with learners? Well, I think, you know, we always talk about on the podcast, it's, you start with time and space, Mm -hmm. right? So the other thing is time. And especially with the kids with ADHD who don't feel time the same way, um, either these Zoom sessions with their teachers are, feel like a year or they feel like five minutes. And some of the kids are doing really well on Zoom and other kids it is a nightmare. Mm-hmm. So I think time is really important to have apps or things or um, things around that help them really time. see <clears throat> time. Mm-hmm. So that could mean there's a couple of different apps that, you know, they're all pretty similar that have, you know, where you can put on your phone and it shows the clock, or you can have those timers that are like, you know, kitchen timers or mm-hmm. baking timers that we've, we use, or it's those lights that, you know, it's red and it's yellow and it's green, or literally you can take a clock and you can use an expo marker on it. And then you can block out time when this needs to happen and when this needs to happen, you know, those kinds of things. I think is a good foundation of getting them ready to learn and be successful. Right. Right. Can I go back and ask two very granular questions, but mm-hmm. I think, you know, people might be interested when you, Rachel are talking about um, PDFing things. Mm-hmm. Are there mm-hmm. any tools that you really like or that students have found uh, works really well for that? So the ones that, like what I've seen multiple students do is apparently you can PDF things within a note on an iPhone. Steph, did you know you could do that? Yeah. And, mm-hmm. but it's not functional because then you have to go and re- first of all, you can't do multiple pages. So they send them one page at a time. And so I've just had multiple when I, cause now I'm seeing this trend. Okay. Everybody stop and let's download. We, I, Steph and I both use tiny scanner. That's what you use, right? Yeah, I think that's what it's called. Or it's just called uh, Scanner. I don't know. I have Tiny Scanner. That's what I use. But you can can have all the multiple pages within one document. You can label it correctly there. It lives in the app. And then you can email it to yourself. I don't know if I pay for it or not because I have the functionality to just send it directly to Drive. And which is if they have that functionality, it's awesome, especially if that's how the teacher wants to receive the assignment. And then you have to make sure that there are folders for each classroom, for each 
class, sorry, in drive already set up and ready to go so that everything has a home. Yeah. Right. Well, and that leads to my second question, which is, you know, what's your favorite way to have students label their files to find them? <laughs> so I always like the assignment title because it's going to be the thing that's most memorable for them. And if they're in Google Docs and Google Drive, you can sort of figure out because as a general rule in terms of organizing physical things, we like chronology the best. Mm -hmm. Students always remember before and after. No, 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 this happened before that. No, I got to keep going and looking, keep looking further for something when they organize it. That's why I don't like it when teachers have like, have a note section, have a test section, have a homework section. No, you're one person in the class functioning. And so have it all, but I understand why they do it because they're trying to help them. Yeah, but if you think about like, uh, just how the brain works about um, photos. And you, if you're looking for a specific photo in your 100%. phone, you re- oh no, that was before that happened or that was after that happened. So then you can Love actually that. find the picture, right? So that's what we're trying to help them do. And we have yeah. them label. I mean, if teachers are organized, excuse me, if teachers are organized enough to have like Terea number one in Spanish, then that's what it should be called. Yeah. And if there's another key word that will help them remember, then that can be the next word. But let's sort of have everything be the same. Again, I would say this is further along in the process. On the more would-be nice side. It's definitely on um, the would-be nice side. It's digitally on the would-be because you have to have everything else sort of set up for that. But if they have to the PDF, something that they've printed then they need to have the app that holds all that information because then they can go back and check, did I do it? And then they need to have a physical place where that piece of paper lives. Right. Yeah. And I I am advocating very much for the stopping of the printing and making a PDF out of something and then uploading it. So yesterday Mm -hmm. I was with a kid who he said, I printed it at home. I'm going to do it at home. And I said, no. (laughs) <laughs> yep. Let's not do, that. do that. So let's use Cami. Cami. Yep. yep. So that's what I had him do. So Cami is an extension on Chrome that's basically like a PDF filler inner. You could do text boxes. Awesome. K A M I. Yep. And so he ha- he was doing a um there it's called a close reading uh, assignment. And basically he had to look for the words and then he had to fill them in. And so instead of it being printed, him writing it in then taking a picture and then uploading it, which is so many steps. Too many. I, and he really, he, he's very, he's not, this was the first time that like, I really got him to say like, let's walk away from the paper. And it was, there was a little bit of a struggle but he eventually acquiesced. And so we did it in Cami together. We saved it and he immediately uploaded it. It was just and like... And Cami syncs with Google Drive. Mm-hmm. So it, it's really... it was When you ask the question, I'm like, oh gosh, what do, what do we use? Because I don't think about it unless I have a specific yeah. need for it. But as soon as stuff... I'm like, oh, Cami, she's right. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. That's and it, you can highlight within it. I, we used it a lot this and summer. Yeah, and they try to have you pay for it, but you don't need to pay for it. So just so you know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's great to hear. I yeah, it's funny. We were registering our kids for soccer a couple of weeks ago. And my wife was like, Yeah, can you print out the application and fill it out? And I was like, What? what do you mean, <laughs> they print? don't have a digitized. Why am I printing anything? Right? <laughs> yeah. Why does anybody 
need me to print anything right now. So Cami yeah. would have been super helpful. Yeah, there, yeah. Now you well, have you'll, it. Now you have it. You'll use it from now on. It, it's it's mm-hmm. You'll never even... Why did I ever not have it? Oh yeah. My gosh. Get rid yeah. of the printer. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I put it in the show notes. So yeah, we'll, I'll definitely <laughs> Perfect. check it out. Cami will, will totally take um, advertisement dollars for that. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Cami, if you're listening, <laughs> reach out to us. Uh, that'd be great. <laughs> so are there any Feel other... Feel free to sponsor this episode. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Let's see. Um, are there any other uh, just like beginning processes? Like when somebody comes to you, um, it sounds like you're working on the calendar, you're working on the email etiquette. Are there any other just foundational sort of um, learning skills that you work with them on? Honey, you should ask. I'm creating a list as I go with some of my new clients. I'm like, what are the things that I do consistently each, each time just for my own, my own sort of making sure my team's kind of doing things in the same way. But go back to your question. I'm sorry. Yeah. Got the, my just thing. those like basic pieces that you put in place, whether that's software or processes, like when somebody first comes to you. And the reason... So I'm asking because I think a lot of parents are probably trying to do this now. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. what are those foundational skills or, th- or you know apps or whatever that you just start right off the bat? You need this, you need this, you need this. Well, definitely Google Calendar is like the first thing we start off with always. Every time. Um, every single getting client. Getting each sort of log... I get all the login information straight up before as we're going. And mm-hmm. I'm sharing my screen so they can see how I'm building out because I have each one of my clients as a separate, a separate profile within Chrome. And so... I can easily toggle back and forth. Um, so if you have multiple kids and you're mm-hmm. finding, okay, I got to log out of this one and then log back into that one. And, and your own email. And then and your own that. email. Create separate Google Chrome profiles for sort of everybody. So you can go back and forth and you can leave things logged in and it just makes life much nicer and cleaner. That's great. Yeah. And you can also pin. You can pin windows when you open up that profile. Those windows will automatically open. So if you have it pinned that you want your email and your calendar and the portal to open every time, those will automatically open when you open the profile. So you don't have to press anything or search or, you know, all of that. So that's it's so I always forget about the pinning. So sometimes it's it also serves as a reminder for what we did last time because certain tabs or something like that's what we did last time. So that's that's a pro tip for parents if you're if you're finding get all get all the login information and create those profiles for yourself so that you can, you know, save your sanity a little bit because that's the first thing that I do with clients. And it's it's sometimes uncomfortable for them because like I'm brand new and I'm like, okay, what's your email password? And I think nothing of it, right? Because I'm not interested in spying on them. But no. you you told you're not supposed to share your passwords with people. And so then some some of the kids I'll have to give like remote access. Okay, you type it in. So I right. can because these are I need access to all this stuff to sort of get you going. And then the other benefit of it when when we have access is like we can while they're building out their calendar, we can go help them build out their calendar. They're not doing it alone because two people, because we love Google products, two people can be in one thing at the same time and it'll register both them. They don't need a I have found I don't want any of my clients saving anything in like a Word doc anymore. Nope. I want it all just in Google Doc. Mm-hmm. Um 
because it saves every 30 seconds or whatever. And you can go back and look at previous. There's, let's just keep everything. Yeah. Have rules about where things are going to live. Yeah. Just have rules. (laughs) Um, I think the other thing that we, we really advocate for is starting with a client and, you know, for parents that are listening um, or giving, you know, those of you that are doing testing that are giving parents, you know, you need those strategies and tips for your reports is also space right? You need to have, they need to have a designated working spot. They shouldn't be doing homework and school on their bed. Um, have, you know, pens and paper and pencils and have like graph paper and lined paper and all the things nearby. So it's easily accessible because when you have clients that are, or kids that are going, oh, I need to go get that. And then they go and they can't find it. Or, you know, like it needs to have, things need to have a home is basically all we're saying is Mm -hmm. that digital things need a home and physical things need a home. And so when you create, just like in a classroom, when you were a little kid, if you think back to, you knew where the paper lived, you knew where the markers lived, you knew where your teacher kept all these things so that you could automatically go and get them when you needed them, the glue sticks, the, all that stuff. So when you have it set up and that's, you know, like you guys that are, that have these businesses that are, you know, you're doing the testing and whatnot. These are your standard operating procedures, right? Everything has a home, you know, Mm -hmm. what to do and how to do it. And the more that you can start that, even with little guys at the base level, and then build from there to get to the, this is what has to happen. This is a would be nice. You will get there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I know that I spent, I did a quarantine project last weekend because I was so bored and it had been on my list to kind of revamp my command center, which is what one of our friends calls like the area of the house that she's like a KonMari master and she calls it the area of the house where like the extras live. And I had these containers and there are rules now for every container of what goes in what. And my husband really likes it because then he's able to find things. And I like it because we buy doubles of things and I didn't know that. And now we can stop doing that. But it's the same for school. And the, the other thing that I'll say, your, your child doesn't need a million organizational tools. Mm-hmm. So when kids are disorganized, the tendency is let me buy them something to organize them, to help them. <laughs> True. And like, let's buy a product to fix it. Yeah. And like oftentimes it tends to be that accordion folder, which we hate. Um, and so it's simple systems get used and get built and get maintained because it's not just about building them. It's about maintaining them. And when you create multiple places of where things could possibly be, now a student has to make a choice with every single thing. And now that's where you've now lost them because they don't know what choice to make, as opposed to having one folder in Google Drive that's for their English class. Well, all my English things go in there. And if you want to, you don't really need to get fancier than that. And the same goes for physical things. You don't need to buy a ton of school supplies to be an organized student. Mm -hmm. And in fact, we don't even advocate having like eight pencils out there, because all that does is teach them that they can lose a pencil. No big deal. There's another one right there. <laughs> That's a good point. I'm just thinking of our 20 pencil receptacle. Exactly. That we have exactly. On my daughter's desk oh right yeah. Now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we yeah. did an episode called how organization leads to disaster. And uh, that is exactly it. You think 
get more things, make you more organized. And we're taking away when we do this with students and we like kind of take away things. Ooh. Uh, ooh, like kids who love, like, and I love yes. school supplies too. Like I love office supplies as much as the next person. So there's really some like resistance there. Cause like, I'm sure your daughter wouldn't be like, let's only have three pencils here. And I don't think she would be cool with that. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Do y'all have any strategies just thinking about the workspace and and the, the organization and so forth for, I mean, those families who have multiple kids who all need a space that's like semi-private and organized. And I mean, have you run into that at all with your families? And if so, you know, how do you manage that and fitting lots of people in the same space? Yeah. I, I think the first thing is everybody needs their own device. And if all the devices can be the same, that's a good start. So it doesn't feel like, oh, well, he gets the iPad and he gets to play games and I have to have a computer and I can't, or vice versa, I can watch Netflix and, you know, he can't or whatever it is. Um, I think that's first and foremost, the more you can equal the playing field, the better for, you know, a a home with multiple kids. Um, And, you know, if you can have them in separate space, great. But uh, that's not feasible for a lot of people. So, you know, some I've I've had some people do you know get those t- like take a cardboard box and make those little like old school library desk pod things. Um, yeah. And and you know having having a command center for school supplies that's nearby and it's not on each person's desk or things like that to make it sort of um, what's really works for your home and your family. Mm-hmm. What what would you that add, Rach? Sense. I think just also resetting spaces. Mm-hmm. So if you're if your student is, you know, designated to work at the kitchen table, then that needs to become a kitchen table again at the end of the day. And so um just to sort of create home life balance. And just like they would clean up their space before they leave their classroom, they need to clean up their space so their family can function like a family again. I think it's really hard. Um, you know, if you have multiple kids, it's such a privilege to have even one device in the house. Mm-hmm. So, you know, sort of just doing the best you can with the circumstances that you're in, but creating designated spaces that's routine, predictable, and that they are responsible to reset, I think is really important. They're each sort of like, this is why our, the work that we do is sort of one-on-one because each family's circumstance is so different. I work with families who kids share the room and, and I work with families where kids not only have their own bedroom, but have their own bathroom as well. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and then have a playroom on top of that, that they've turned into a school room. So it just really depends on, the individual needs and, you know, and then putting the kid that might need the most interaction from you throughout the day closer to you, but like being really strategic about who goes where and why. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. You know, I found that um, over the course of all this online learning that it's been a real drain on parents, executive functioning just as much as kids. I wonder, are y'all seeing the same thing? And if so, how do you, do you find yourselves working more with parents, you know, in addition to the kids? 
I've had parents. So we just did executive functioning for parents on the podcast. This was like this week's episode. Yeah. uh It just came out. Um, it, it came as a result of one of our friends, SOS texting us Yeah, and, and we were writing an episode and we're like, Oh, instead of writing this, just come on and let's do it as an on-air coaching call, which is what this week's episode was. But what I've really noticed, which is, feels different than before is parents really want us to sort of manage school. Mm-hmm. They are really asking to like, I don't, Rachel, I don't want to go in the portal. I don't want to communicate with teachers. I need to keep my job and I sort of need to outsource this stuff the way it was before because the teachers handled it before and I can't even manage my own email. So sometimes like the broader impact of ed therapy is not sometimes, the majority of the time, the broader impact of good ed therapy is home life improves. But another byproduct that I've seen happen dozens of times in the home is one of this one of the sort of the client that we're working with, the student that we're working with, their executive functioning sort of skyrockets. And suddenly the siblings are seeing what's going on. Mm-hmm. And how did you do that on your calendar? And like and I I liked especially when there's like an older sibling who's like really high achieving in the family and I'm working with like the second or the third kid in the family. I'm like, here's the best part about this is so-and-so is going to see how you're doing things and then they're going to want to learn from you. And like the kid gets lit up, but that happens with the parents too. They see that I am forcing their kids to sort of maintain their email and they're like, I need this accountability. And we've both done sessions with parents to sort of, this is how I'm teaching your kid to function. This is why I think you should function like this. And sort of like we always advocate if the family is at that level of calendaring to have like a family calendar that anybody can add an event to. But you're letting your kid know like this is something you're expected to participate in or show up to. Like they need to know that too. And you don't have to have a conversation. It could be a Google Calendar invite and it shows up and they'll see it. Um, just like Steph can put things on my calendar and I can put things on hers and the other one will be like, okay. So um, <laughs> that can get dangerous. It can, yeah. <laughs> that's why we only share one calendar. Perfect, perfect. <laughs> Otherwise, <laughs> and we know sort of each other's schedules, but um, <laughs> I definitely, I think the, I think parents are noticing their own executive functioning weaknesses as, um, you know, we'll always say the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Mm-hmm. And it's always interesting whether the parents notice that or or they think their kid is completely different. And so um, it's always interesting. It is always interesting. I, because you, know, you I, may see them similarly, but they don't see themselves similarly. Yeah. Right, so, right. Yeah, I've had, yeah, I've had several parents ask me to help them set up mm-hmm. um, things. Build and, out their systems, yeah. Uh-huh. And I, you know, we also are offering... Um, learning management right now. And that just looks like helping either it's literally somebody there working, you know, alongside the kid being on the Zoom and then, you know, filling in the gaps and making sure there's understanding. Or if that means the executive functioning of making sure like these are all the things that you need to do, but not teaching just you know, it's not the strategies, it's just managing everything. Um, so the parents don't have to do it themselves because they, it's affecting a lot of relationships. They're already with each other 24 seven and, you know, the kids aren't getting any, um, you know, peer to peer 
you know, social interaction and it's, it's taking a toll. And so, you know, the amount of people that have been calling, asking for in-person in my practice has been a lot because the parents are just sitting there saying, please, I can't do this anymore. And get them out of my house for an hour, please. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And I don't blame them. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. We ended up uh, just, I mean, we're fortunate enough to be able to have hired basically a a babysitter, you know, to just yeah. kind of hang out while our kids are doing school during the they're, day. They're a facilitator. Yeah. A facilitator of learning. Yes. A, yep. a yes. learning facilitator. So you can be mom and she can be, or I'm sorry, your wife can be mom and you can be dad and get your jobs done. Yeah. You can be the parents. Right. Right. Yeah. Yes. So I uh, we've touched on this issue of portals a couple times, um, <clears throat> but haven't dove into them. Uh, I know this is a big problem for a lot of families, and it's come up in our district that there are you know seventeen different places where assignments live yeah. and so forth. So uh, thoughts on that? How to manage that? What to do with that? Well, now you're hitting me where it hurts today because this is what I woke up angry about this morning. Yeah. So, um, let's do it. Let's do it. So, (laughs) there's so much that has been challenging about online portals, and it's not the pandemic that has caused that. No, it's so. Yep. So we've never. We're going to be recording an episode tomorrow on our podcast called "Online Portal Pitfalls," unless we change the name, but it'll be something like that. And online portals have been a sore spot for educational therapists for a really long time. We have a really unique view in that we are working with kids from multiple schools, and so we're seeing how all the different schools are doing it. Mm -hmm. And then you know we have the burden of having to remember like the specific nuances of each teacher of each one of our clients, and so that's you know that's why I have to have different profiles for everybody because teacher each class each school each program and, each and the kids have to remind me every single time remember that's the teacher who wants it turned in here mm-hmm. and not here and they have to remind us so teachers are not trying to overcomplicate it and so let me just start there but whenever I get the ear of a head of school this is what I bring up with them that there needs to be rules really they need to be very controlling about how the online portal works because each teacher cannot decide what works best for them because now we're burdening our kid, our kids to have seven or eight different teachers, all with different approaches, all using the portal differently, not putting the homework in the same spot. So now there's 15 clicks to get to one piece of information for one class. And then there needs to be rules also, if any heads of schools are listening, about how often the grades need to be updated as well. Because parents are relying on that to tell them whether students are turning in their work and how, and how they're performing. And if teachers are waiting until the week of the grading period, it does not give parents an opportunity to be responsive when things fall through the cracks. And it's not... Or maybe that's the rule in the school, which is also fine. You only do it at the week of the reporting period. Like it, whatever it is, it needs to be consistent and, and, and no deciding, okay, we're using PowerSchool, but I like Google Classroom better. So I'm going to do everything in Google Classroom because now you've made yourself another task that our students have to remember to do. All right, there's so much. 
there's so much here to unravel. Steph, why don't you share what you were sharing before we hit record about that client that you had to like prove to them that the portal is inherently oh, yeah. unreliable. Oh yeah. Was that before we hit record? I didn't even remember. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I have a client who was saying, I said something to her about how let's look at all the assignments that you need to do, what hasn't been turned in, et cetera, et cetera. And she said, Oh, it's all right here. And I have access into her Google classroom and um, the school portal stuff. So I go in and I start looking at all the different things and I find two assignments that are not actually on that list of here's what needs to be turned in. And so when I showed her yesterday, that look, it doesn't actually show up. Like you, it, this is not your um, safety net as the kids want, right? Mm-hmm. Having the on that portal, not everything seems to go on that one list of here's what you need to do. That's not the safety net. So you know, the fact that I sat there and I was like, okay, now we have to really, you see that you have to check all the things. And yeah, I understand it's frustrating. It's 15 clicks per class. That's a lot. But unfortunately, what you want to use as an easy safety net is not going to be an easy safety net. So I think having the kids, you know, for a while now, we've had the struggle that, well, why do I need to write it down or put it anywhere? Because it's all right here. Mm -hmm. It's very clear that it is not all right there. Even if it's set up to be all right there, it's not. You still need redundancy it's, built in. Totally need redundancy and healthy skepticism. But yeah. here, it's not all bad. No, there's some. True. There's some parts of it that you can really, but you have to be savvy. And you have to know how to make it work for you. Not all portals, but a lot of portals will, particularly right now, allow you to import the school schedule into a Google Calendar mm-hmm. or an iCal, but we prefer Google Calendar. And that's really lovely. It's, and here's another thing that a lot of schools have done is they've made their schedules so much more simple or so much simpler, I should say, um, which makes planning so much easier. Mm-hmm. Because when a school is on like a nine-day rotation, it's a nightmare to automate it. Yeah. And so, and it's, it's a nightmare for the kids. It's a nightmare for the teachers. I don't know the argument for it, but that's the reality of some schools. But even if it's an every other week schedule, we can automate that on their calendar. And when you mm-hmm. can import it, you still have to sort of copy over each event to their calendar because you want to have each event be controllable by you. So when the other person owns the calendar, this is getting really specific now, but when the, other, when the school owns the calendar, you can't edit each event. When you copy it over to your personal calendar and you set it up as a repeating event or you set it up as a repeating event for every other week or whatever it may be, you can put in Zoom links. You can put in homework. You can teach them to kind of do all that and they need that sort of functionality. And it is still, even if you have to copy each event over, it's still a thousand times faster than manually creating each event, which we have to do for some schools because they don't have that import functionality. So it's not all bad. It's just, there's opportunity for improvement. Mm-hmm. And it's literally the first thing I talk to heads of schools about. I'm like, you don't understand what they're sort of... And I genuinely think they don't understand because they're not in it and experiencing it. It's not... I, schools are not trying to make this harder. 
Right. I mean, they have the best intentions. Like you said, I think few people have the perspective that y'all do where you are working with all these different portals across different schools and different students and seeing what it actually looks like. Right. And we've, Steph and I have had these complaints about online portals for years. Yeah. And and we sort of like, yeah, now we can talk about it because everybody's seeing it. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Oh my gosh. Well, I know there's a ton more that we could talk about, but um, time goes fast. And I wonder if uh, there are any, yeah, any parting, parting words, thoughts, encouragements, you know, for folks who are, you know, managing their kids at home. And I have to- one sort of rule that I've shared with parents um, when it comes to teachers trying to teach their kids. And now they're watching sort of the lessons that are the teachers are teaching and about not getting involved, but getting involved when appropriate. So sort of the rule that I have set for some of the families, because the parents should not be coming a part of the classroom conversation. And sometimes you can't help it if you want your kid to get on target or on task. So the rules that I've kind of set is like, you can jump in when it's something your eyes can see, but when it's something your ears can hear, like you don't like the answer that your kid gave, that's for the teacher to correct. But if your eyes can see that your kids walked away from the computer, that's when you can come in and redirect and help them get focused again. So it's eyes, not ears. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think the biggest thing is, okay, one day at a time, yeah. one week at a time. It just... It thing, won't always be like this. Yeah, it won't. And and that we all know you're doing the best you can, whether you're the teacher, the kid, the parent, the clinician, everybody's doing the best that they can. And if we can give ourselves a break and... Assume best intentions from yeah, everybody yeah, that and, you're sort of interacting with. Such yep, a good and, reminder. Yeah, just have open communication and just try to figure out what works and the best you can do. That's all you can do. Mm-hmm. I think that is a very good note to end on. Very kind, mm-hmm. very compassionate. <laughs> so yeah, thank you all so much for coming on. Um, this really flew by and I know that yeah, we, we could dive into any number of other things, but yeah, I true. really appreciate, you know, just. We'll come back anytime. Jeremy. Yeah, totally. So Absolutely. It is fun. Good, good. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I would imagine we're going to continue to sort of orbit one another's yes, content. Yes. So, <laughs> yeah, I would love that. But uh, yeah, uh, in the meantime, y'all take care and thanks again. You too. You too. 